Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, I'm Matthew Wolf, and you're listening to my podcast. This podcast is the best bit from my weekly radio show on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from three till four. What you're listening to is taken from live radio, but this is a podcast, which means it is obviously not live. So please do not try and get in contact with any of the live details you may hear me mention throughout the show, as your messages will not be received, but you may still be charged. All of our terms and conditions for getting involved can be found on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. Also, as this is a podcast, some of the information we give about news stories may have been updated or changed since our broadcast went live. The information in this podcast is accurate and correct as of the time the radio show was originally broadcast, but might not now be accurate. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss the live radio show every Sunday from three till four, where you can get in touch live. Hello and welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we discuss vaccine nationalism after the EU triggered Article 16 of the Brexit deal on Friday which imposed a border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland to stop the export of vaccines. It was quickly reversed following outrage, but I heard all of your opinions on how vaccine nationalism can be prevented in the future. Later in the show, we spoke about the extraordinary events in the stock market this week, as GameStop rose exponentially due to the investments of amateur traders on Reddit. I heard all of your thoughts on the issue as well as an interview with my brother, who's going to be studying economics at university next year. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to Wizard Radio. I'm Matthew Wolfe, and for the next hour, and at this time every single Sunday, I'll be discussing your thoughts on the biggest current affairs and political stories of the week gone by. Today we'll begin by discussing the vaccine chaos that occurred this week, as the EU temporarily banned exports of the vaccine to Northern Ireland on Friday. I want to know how you think future issues can be avoided, as well as if you feel a sort of vaccine nationalism is on the card for the foreseeable future. And later on the show, I want to hear your views on the extraordinary events on the stock market this week, as Reddit investors pushed up the price of GameStop shares by astronomical proportions. Is this a trend that will be repeated as hedge funds lose out to amateurs? Contact us. You can tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter, we're at WizRadio. 
text us at no extra cost only standard network rates apply on 07807183538. Email us station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details are on our website www.wizardradio.co.uk. Good afternoon. On Friday, the EU made the decision to trigger Article 16, an emergency provision in the Brexit deal, in order to control COVID-19 vaccine exports from the EU. They then backtracked later that day. The move could have seen checks at the border of Ireland and Northern Ireland to prevent shipments entering the UK. The U-turn from Brussels came hours after it was announced, following huge condemnation from the governments in London, Dublin and Belfast. The plans had been part of the EU's new export controls on vaccines to combat delivery shortfalls. Their reasoning behind the decision was that they feared Northern Ireland would become a back door through which vaccines could enter the UK mainland. This comes amid severe shortages of the vaccines ordered by the EU. The UK has administered 12 doses of coronavirus vaccine per 100,000 people, far greater than the 2.5 doses per 100,000 people that the EU have managed. With this low number piling pressure on EU nations who are now seeing a huge rise in new COVID-19 cases as the British variant spreads through Europe. The EU have been pressuring the large pharma companies for not acting quick enough in their distribution. Here is Gillian Deutsch, health correspondent at Politico on BBC Newsnight, discussing the EU's plan to put pressure on AstraZeneca. I think the Commission's really trying to show that they're taking a very serious hard line against this pharma company. And so, you know, the Commission is really trying to say, you know, sure, we don't have to be, you know, Europe first, but we definitely are not going to be Europe second. And so they're implementing this expert control to go back and say, okay, you have to meet our orders first. You cannot go back on this contract and you need to supply the EU, just like you said you would. By April or May, large-scale deliveries of several types of vaccines should be underway in the EU. But in the months before that happens, the union will face deep strains as national governments take steps to counter COVID and the Commission comes under fire. However, as mentioned in the clip, many believe that this is a situation of the EU's own doing. Bruno Maceas, Portugal's former Europe minister, told Newsnight he believes this situation has highlighted the problems with bureaucracy that the EU face. Furthermore, others have criticised the EU's slow licensing of the vaccines, with the AstraZeneca vaccine only gaining, gaining approval this Thursday. Despite later backtracking on Article 16, the EU is still introducing new controls, giving its member states the power, should they want to, to block exports of the coronavirus vaccine to countries including the UK. If the country, sorry, if the company making them has not honoured existing contracts with the EU. The European Commission said the temporary mechanism is to combat the current lack of transparency over vaccine exports outside of the EU and is not an export ban. However, the World Health Organization is among those criticising the move, saying that vaccine nationalism could pro prolong the pandemic and further widen global inequality. 
I want to know from you if these problems will be able to be overcome in the next few weeks and months, as well as how they would be done. I also want to know from you if you're worried that this could be a problem we see for much longer. Get in touch. You can tweet us or DM us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at WizRadio. Text us at no extra cost with only standard network rates applying on 07807183538 and email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. As many of you probably already know, the stock market was in absolute chaos this week as amateur investors on Reddit drove up the share price of the company GameStop in response to million dollar hedge funds betting on the price going down in a move known as short selling. It was an attempt both to earn money, but also for many, a chance to stick it to the millionaire hedge funds who were responsible for the crash of 2008 and faced no repercussions. This has put many hedge funds in financial difficulty whilst making money for many of these amateur investors. In response, the online site which facilitates trades in America, Robinhood, have stopped transactions citing the volatility of the market being too unpredictable. But many of the investors in GameStop are understandably livid. They feel that their profits are being halted by the influence of Wall Street, who want to protect their losses at the expense of the everyday person. I want to hear your thoughts. And after, and after the break, later in the show, we'll be hearing a detailed explanation from my brother, a knowledgeable economics student, about what went on in more detail. So for the last time before our first break, you can contact us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Wiz Radio. Text us at no extra cost with only standard network rates applying on 07807183538. Email us station at wizardradio.co.uk and all of our contact details are on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk. So as I said, we're going to get a song on now and then it will be back to hearing your thoughts on the first topic of today's show. The question of if vaccine nationalism will continue to be a threat to people's health. So as I said, the song on now is Doja Cat Streets. That was Doja Cat and Streets. So the main question I'm asking all of you today is if vaccine nationalism will continue to be a threat to people's health. And one message I want to actually begin with is one that isn't actually from my show. It's from Lakika's show, which is on which was on earlier today. And this message was sent into her and actually reflects my own personal opinion very, very strongly. It's from a guy called Josh who says this news story about the EU trying to block vaccines in the UK has annoyed me so much. Honestly, Lakika, this is the only time I've ever been thankful that we left the EU. I've been a Remainer rough, right up until this moment. Every country or trade bloc needs to be looking out for their own. And the last thing they should be doing is trying to restrict another country's ability to look after their own people, which is what the EU has tried to do to the UK. The EU needs to be looking after their own people without negatively impacting the UK's vaccine programme, just like how the UK is looking after our own people. This is not a good look for the EU at all. Well, th that message that was sent into Lakika, as I said, completely reflects my own opinion. I've said many times on this show, and anyone who's a regular listener will know this, that I've been quite a strong supporter of the EU. I never claimed it was perfect, but I thought that Brexit was not a good thing for our country. And um, yeah, I, I was a fan of what the EU brought to the UK uh, more generally. But this event really, really made me think and, and reconsider some of my opinions because 
I was just I was just thinking a minute ago that it has almost condensed all the problems that people said about the EU into one issue. The idea that the EU can be overly bureaucratic and too many systems get in the way of actually doing stuff. Well, we've seen that with the delayed distribution of the vaccines, but also that the EU can perhaps be a bit selfish in what it's doing and try and um, almost be, I don't want to say it because it, I don't want to say this this word, but maybe almost a bit nasty in how they're, and, and retaliatory in the in the way they're, they're doling out these vaccines. The fact that um, they're, they're looking after their own, but they're, they're not thinking about other people who could be negatively impacted. And it, like I said, it's condensed many of the, the things I didn't like about the EU into, into one issue. And I don't really know how this can be defended by even the, 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 the strongest supporters of the EU. But I'm sure there are some of you listening now. And if you do want to defend the EU, um, of course, get in touch. We want to hear as many, as much diversity of opinion as possible on this show. But I personally think that this action was selfish. Um, more importantly, it, it was ineffective for the EU, as well as um, garnering ill support from um, the UK, who the EU need to work closely with after Brexit, as well as um, angering the UK. It's not actually, even if it had gone through, it wouldn't have actually helped the EU very much at all, because the vaccine providers have got contracts that they have to fulfil with the UK, who signed them before the EU. And... The EU want to get the vaccines as soon as possible, just like every other nation state, every other, everyone else in the world. But by doing it this way, I think they've actually created a lot of ill feeling around them that is not going to be beneficial to their actual aim. So I'm setting out my opinion very strongly here. Um, it mirrors a message that we had from a listener earlier in the day. And of course, feel free to disagree with me. That's what this show's about. But yeah, I'm going to move on now to the first message that we've got in we've got sent in specifically to this show and it's from Charlie who says when it comes to the vaccine we need to look after our own especially in the UK where our, our coronavirus situation is worse than most and where the vaccine will literally save thousands of lives over here every country needs to look after their own people first especially when it comes to coronavirus so I don't think we should be speaking about vaccine nationalism as a bad thing especially when the countries we're talking about for example, the UK and the EU are wealthy countries. This isn't the UK not helping poorer countries, which is a separate issue and very important. But this is about the UK not allowing another country to bully it and take vaccines that are rightfully ours. Well, Charlie, you've raised a lot of interesting points. And one thing I just want to begin with is the idea that the vaccines are, and you say, rightfully ours. Well, in a way, I think you're completely correct in that. The UK signed contracts with vaccine providers and until those contracts are fulfilled, those vaccines do belong to the UK and they should therefore get them first. So I do see where you're coming from. I completely agree as well that it's down to every individual leader in charge of their country or the people in charge of the European Union. It's down to them to um, distribute the vaccines as best as possible for the people that they represent. However, one thing I would like to raise is, whilst I do agree that um, leaders need to look after their own people, there are many negative impacts that can come from the vaccine, vaccine nationalism like we've seen this week. You said that it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I think let's just look a bit further down the line. And yes, the EU are very wealthy and it is a different situation to um, poorer countries that can't afford vaccines. But 
I, I was discussing um, going on holiday with one of my friends um, earlier this week, and we were discussing whether um, countries will be whether we were discussing whether places will be open enough for us to go on normal holidays in the summer uh, due to the vaccine. And at the rate the UK is distributing vaccines, it's likely that the UK could be almost almost completely opened up by the time we get to the summer. Festivals may be able to happen. I know Glastonbury was cancelled uh, last week, but other festivals later in the summer may be able to happen. There may be um, uh, f- football stadiums for the Euros that are, are more full. But in other countries that are more slowly distributing the vaccine, this might not be the case. And due to the fact that um, countries are looking after their own and distributing vaccines individually, different countries will have different levels of vaccination. And if one country has had 40% of the population vaccinated and another country said 80%, well, the country with 80% can have festivals and full football stadiums, but the country with 20%, if it's a prime holiday destination, will still be unavailable. They won't want people coming in or, no, sorry, they will want people coming in, especially if they're vaccinated, but they simply will not be able to if they've only got 20% of their population vaccinated. So I do think that whilst it's down to um, every country's uh, governments and the people in charge of each country to look after their own people, I do think that there needs to be some level of cooperation to ensure that there's kind of a, a unified response to um, what's going on. So, uh, yeah, that was a really interesting text there. Um there charlie but i do think what well, i agree with most of what you're saying but i do think it's important to recognize that some level of cooperation is needed so yeah thanks for getting in touch there charlie i'm going to move on though to a text here from ben who says if countries were more willing to actually work together rather than working against each other then this eu situation wouldn't have been a problem because the eu and the uk could have tried to work together to make sure that everyone has enough vaccines instead though they have forgotten that this is a global issue, that everyone needs the vaccine. And the EU has tried to spite the UK. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for earlier when I said um, it was a bit nasty. The word spite, I, that, that's, I agree with you there, Ben, that that is what um, came to mind in my opinion anyway. So, yeah, I'm going to continue with the message now. Um, if you ever wonder why the global climate change policy never gets agreed, this EU issue is exactly why. The UK needs the EU to be vaccinated as much as the EU needs the UK to be vaccinated because nobody can open their borders fully and life cannot go back to normal until the virus is eradicated entirely. Well, Ben, I'm just going to pick up slightly on the last line of your message that um, no one can do anything until the virus is eradicated entirely. I do disagree with that. There are many viruses that are out there that kill some amount of people that are not eradicated, but um, people live with them. I think that from what I've heard from health experts on the news, on on uh, on the radio, whatever, this week and throughout the pandemic, really, it is unlikely that even with a vaccination, this virus will be completely eradicated. What's much more likely is that herd immunity um, will bring about a far, far um, lower rate of transmission. And it will be something that comes around every year. But we we learn to live with. And the impact is, of course, way, way less devastating than what we've suffered for the last year. So that's just what I pick up on. Um, maybe I'm being pedantic, but that just last last phrase in your message. But as to the main point of your message, Ben, I think you've really distilled what I was saying in response to the last message and put it into one text. The idea that these are global issues. And when we start looking at vaccines um, 
as an individual issue. That's what creates these problems. You reference climate change, and I think that's a brilliant, brilliant example of a situation, a problem that cannot be tackled by a single country that needs to be worked out through cooperation. And people are sometimes uneasy when they think of um, mega states and um, governments presiding over many, many countries. And I, perhaps understandably, but I do think that with big issues and long term issues, it needs to be bigger than one government and one parliament. It needs to be people working together to have a long term vision. And maybe vaccination isn't that much of a long term issue like climate change is, but it's definitely an issue that will take a lot of cooperation, a lot of um, correspondence between um, nation states, and it will take a lot more than um, individual countries coming up with good policies for their own country because the block's only as strong as its weakest link. It's almost like a sports team. That's, it's only as strong as its weakest link. And um, for life to return fully to what we considered to be normal before the pandemic, there does need to be a level of cooperation and um, a level of, yeah, a level of cooperation between countries to, to have a vision that can get this done as quickly as possible and make sure that as few people as possible are left behind in all of this. So yeah, thanks for your text there, Ben. I have to say, I agree with um, everything you said there, actually. I think you've really distilled the problems um, very well. And um, yeah, I completely agree with you. So I'm going to move on to another text now. Uh, this one here is from Hannah, who says, I completely agree with what you were saying, Matthew, that it's important for different countries to work together to make sure that everyone gets vaccinated. But that isn't what the EU were trying to do. The EU were actively trying to restrict the UK's access to a vaccine in order to prioritise their countries having the vaccine. And why do they need to do that? Because they were too slow. The UK also had issues at first in making sure that we had enough vaccine. We had pauses and jolts in the system, but we started much earlier than the EU. And because the EU have been much slower to approve vaccines than the UK, that doesn't mean that whilst they go through similar issues we did, they get to block our access and to potentially go over the Good Friday Agreement in the process. It was really disgusting of the EU. Hannah, what you said there is the sentiment that was expressed by the UK government and um, by the government in Northern Ireland and by um, the government in the Republic of Ireland. The idea that um, the EU really didn't help anyone with what they were doing. Uh, just a bit of background as to why they were doing it. I know I mentioned it in my intro, but for any people just joining the show now, as you say in your text there, Hannah, the EU have far less vaccines than the UK. 2.5 doses per 100,000 people have been administered in the EU. There's 12 doses per 100,000 people have been administered in the UK. So we are far ahead of the EU in terms of um, how quickly we're administering the vaccine. And that is because, like you said, the UK signed the contract earlier and we did have issues. We did have issues in rolling it out. And we're, maybe we're still having issues, but it seems like it's going a lot smoother now. And those issues came about because it's a very, very complicated process to roll out a vaccine to millions of people that has only just been approved by licensing bodies. So, um, yeah, the UK was quicker than the EU. And um, due to that, the EU have obviously had less vaccines available and they wanted to block um, vaccine access into Northern Ireland because they feared that it would be a back alley into which EU the EU's vaccines were being given to the UK. And obviously, 
it's not that would not have been the case. The UK have got their contracts and those contracts are being honoured, and the EU have got their contracts and those contracts are aiming to be honoured. So I do think that um, this act was quite scary, actually, in that um, it it proposed a border on between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And we know, of course, of the, the troubles that that could bring. And um, it also uh, posed a threat to people in Northern Ireland receiving the vaccine. And um, yeah, we know that um, this is a complicated issue because although um, the UK have got um, contracts that need to be uh, fulfilled and the EU have got contracts that need to be fulfilled, what is important to remember is that many of the manufacturing plants are in the EU, even if um, the manufacturers are UK-based companies. For example, AstraZeneca have factories in the EU. So um, whilst the vaccine could be manufactured in Europe, if the company still has a contract to fulfil with the UK, then it doesn't matter that they're coming from the EU. The UK still has a right to those vaccines. So that perhaps um, confuses the issue slightly. But I think it is worth remembering that um, it is, yeah, that contracts need to be fulfilled and the UK signed the contract before the EU did, which is why we've got more vaccines and um, why the EU have less at the moment. And they are, it has to be said, um, suffering because of that at the moment. And um, their response to their problems was um, imposing that, uh, that, that block, that that imposing um triggering sorry i'll start that sentence again was by triggering article 16 and um imposing a check a border check around um between northern ireland and the republic of ireland and we know that as i said we know the issues that could have caused and um i think actually in backtracking so quickly the eu were perhaps acknowledging their mistake and um we just have to hope that um this won't be repeated but what i want to know specifically from all of you listening is what can the eu do and what can the uk do to ensure that we don't have these issues again to ensure that um the fear that was felt on friday as article 16 was triggered is not repeated and to, to try and make sure that everyone's got sufficient doses of the vaccine and that countries don't put their supply at the cost of others and that contracts are, are fulfilled and that we don't really see a repeat of the problems we saw um, of the problems we saw on Friday. So yeah, I think that's a, a good place to take another break with the question of what can we be, what can be done to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Uh, but the song we're going to get on now before um, we hear more of your responses is "Without You" by the Kid Leroy. <laughs> Welcome back to Wizard Radio, I'm Matthew Wolf. Just a reminder of the two topics we're discussing on the show today. The first question, which we've been discussing for the last half an hour or so, is the question of if vaccine nationalism will continue to be a threat to people's health. Later in the show, we'll be discussing the events on the stock market this week, and the question is, are Robinhood right to stop the trading of GameStop this week? So back to the first topic, and we've got a text in here from Alex, who said, if the EU is behind the UK in administering the vaccine, then the EU needs to change their priority, sorry, change their processes and learn from what we're doing in the UK, not potentially break the law and make AstraZeneca prioritise them over us. Lakika was saying earlier today that because the UK got their contract first, 
AstraZeneca is legally obliged to fulfill our contract before they fulfill the EU's because we got there first. It's like when you order food at the restaurant, you expect your food before someone who ordered after you. I obviously don't want anyone in the EU to die because we're not sharing the vaccine, but there is a way for countries to collaborate and this isn't it. Well, Alex, you're completely right when you talk about um, how the, UK, the fact that the UK signed the agreements first means that they are legally entitled to receive them first. And I don't think the EU are really disputing that too strongly. What they claimed that they were trying to do by triggering Article 16 was stop their vaccines uh, being imported to the UK. And I think the language we're using, that I'm using here responding to your text, and that lots of you have used in your text of their vaccine and our vaccine, is really counterproductive. Um, as we know, it, and I mentioned just before the break, this is an issue that needs to be solved together. And um, it really needs cooperation, like you said. The UK is entitled to those doses, but what the EU perhaps could have done instead is um, actually talk to the manufacturers and say that we need this number. Make By all means, fulfil your orders with the UK, but please try and be quicker or, or just try and talk to the manufacturers so that they can be produced as quickly as possible or at least be open with the people in their countries that the vaccines will be a bit longer. I said in my introduction that um, the AstraZeneca jab was only approved and licensed by the EU on Thursday. That's weeks after the UK. And this is something that isn't as um, administ isn't as difficult. This is something that isn't as um, administratively difficult as actually supplying the vaccine. Uh, simply ensure simply licensing the vaccine requires uh, requires people to look at data requires them to look at the trials that, are, that were undergone. And I personally feel that in a case such as this, where the virus, as we know, is spreading very quickly throughout Europe, that process could have been done more quickly so that the EU were in a position where they'd ordered the vaccine a bit more a, a bit more swiftly and they weren't in a situation where they were playing catch up to the UK to such an extent where they needed to try and halt the UK supply. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for getting in touch there, Alex. Uh, that's what I just say, that, um, it, that there needs to be better com communication between vaccine suppliers and also the EU could have been quicker with their licensing of the vaccine. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, thanks for that there, Alex. I've got another text here from Max who says, I think that if once the UK finishes their vaccine programme and the majority of people have been vaccinated and there is leftover vaccine, then maybe they should help the EU by redirecting their vaccines or if there are other poorer countries that can't afford the vaccine and are suffering really badly then we should help those countries but whilst we're at the height of our vaccine rollout program we shouldn't be redirecting any of our vaccines we need to keep vaccinating our people we can worry about other countries or groups once we have made our own people safe well max i do agree with you i think that Cooperation is important and there needs to be clear conversations between countries to make sure that um, there will be enough. But I do think that whilst one country's uh, vaccines are being rolled out, I can understand why a country would want to um, make sure that at least the most vulnerable people in their society are vaccinated first. Uh, I don't blame any country for having that. But I do understand how other people would say that it, it is immoral to um, hoard vaccines over other people. And uh, one thing that I think will be really, really interesting is 
You're right. I think that there's a very broad consensus that at the height of the rollout right now, when it's the most vulnerable people that are being vaccinated, countries do have a right to look after the people that voted them in and um, look after their own country. But what happens when we get to the stage where everyone, for example, over 60 or everyone over 50 has been vaccinated, but most people below 50 haven't, and in other countries in the EU, people over 80 haven't been vaccinated, or in poorer countries, no one's been vaccinated. Will the UK, with vaccines that they paid for and they've ordered, then say, okay, we'll sell these vaccines to you now because we've vaccinated the most vulnerable people and we want to help you out? Or will they say, no, we paid for these vaccines. We're going to vaccinate everyone, even if they're not in the most vulnerable category. That, in my opinion, is where it gets a lot more murky and the whole thing gets a lot more difficult because um, we know, of course, that um, herd immunity is the most important thing and you want to get as high a proportion of people as possible vaccinated. But people of a certain age, below below 50 at least, are very low risk from the coronavirus unless they have any other underlying health conditions. So it will be interesting to see what happens when we get to that stage and it becomes a lot more complicated. So that's one thing I would say there, Max, that um, I do agree with you to an extent that countries have a responsibility and governments have a responsibility to look after the people that voted them in. But I think it's very important to remember, very important to remember that um, later on, when you've got to a stage where the vulnerable people are vaccinated, it will become a lot more confusing. And that is when uh, moral questions will be asked. So, yeah, thanks for getting in touch there, Max. I'm going to move on now to Rosie. And you're going to be the last message, Rosie, of this topic. And you say, I can't believe nobody has said this on your show yet. Vaccine nationalism could be a real threat to people's lives. As someone did say earlier, Matthew, this is a global issue. Every country on the planet pretty much has the coronavirus. And actually, we need to focus on what poorer countries need, not, not really what is happening in the EU. The EU will get their, vaccinate, their vaccines and everyone will get vaccinated and things will be fine. The EU isn't the place we should be worried about. We should be worried about poorer countries such as in Africa or South America, where they will need support to be able to afford enough vaccines. They will need, to, they will need help distributing it in time and preventing deaths. Our government should be helping those countries. That would be re a really amazing thing for us to do. Well, Rosie, I almost feel bad for not raising this point earlier because you're right. It's a very, very important issue that the EU are comparatively wealthy. And once all these uh, all the confusion and the um, logistical errors are, um, are ironed out, it is likely that the EU will be able to roll out the vaccine fairly successfully. They have, after all, been able to afford um, to order lots of doses, albeit after the UK. However, like you said, there are lots of poorer countries who don't have that facil those facilities. And whether it's the UK government's help themselves or, in my opinion, yes, the UK government can help. Every government can help. But with governments around the world being in a dire financial situation, I think the most important thing here is that the UN, the World Health Organization, all the other um, organizations that the UN uh, has under its umbrella need to work together to really push to make sure that countries in the developing world have these vaccines and that um, this global issue can be solved on a global scale. And I think that's quite a good place to 
leave this topic. The idea that, as you said, Rosie, it's a global problem and that it needs to be solved and treated as such. So that's where we're going to end that topic. After the break, I'll be speaking to my brother about um, the exponential rise in the stock GameStop. Um, He's going on to study economics at university next year. And I'm going to ask him uh, for an explanation on what's happened. Uh, So stay tuned for that. But right now we're getting another song on now. It's 347 Aiden dancing in my room. Welcome back to Wizard Radio. That was 347 Aiden dancing in my room. So the question we're asking you for the last 15 minutes of the show is if Robin Hood were right to stop the trading of GameStop this week. And I'm joined by my brother, who's planning on studying economics at university next year and is very interested in the topic. So how are you, Ben? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. So briefly, what is short selling in simple terms? Why has it been criticised? And how is it linked to this story about GameStop? So short selling is a way that investors, or in this case, large Wall Street hedge funds, can actually bet against the stock. So if they think the stock is going to decrease in value, they can borrow um, they can borrow some shares at a certain price, take the money, and then rebuy the shares when the value and the price of the stock is depreciated. So, and then they pocket the difference. So it's arguably controversial because a lot of people actually just disagree with the concept of being able to short sell something you don't own. So Elon Musk actually tweeted in the wake of all this weekend, he actually tweeted, you can't sell a house you don't own, you can't sell a car you don't own, so why should you be able to sell... Um, a stock that you don't own and it's this mentality that is actually um, that's actually like encouraged all the Redditors to drive up the price of GameStop which is a failing brick and mortar company that hasn't made it hasn't turned a profit in years and the share price has actually increased by 1500 by 1500% since the beginning of January so yeah it's and this is in retaliation to large Wall Street hedge funds betting against the stock so in a way they've done it to actually make money for themselves, but part of it is the whole message that it sends that we're not we're not your we're not your miners. We can actually um, we've got the facilities to actually challenge you, and we're not going to let you get away with what you've been doing for all these years, which has actually damaged the retail investors. So lots of amateur investors on Reddit have made a lot of money, or at least have a lot of money if they haven't um, sold the stock yet. So. How have Robinhood, who are the company that facilitate these trades, the online broker, uh, how have they actually responded to all these amateur traders making a lot of money? And why has their response uh, caused a lot of controversy? Sure. So as you mentioned, Robinhood is the online zero commission, one of the most popular brokers for retail investors and day traders in the US. And the Robinhood CEO um, and co-founder, Vlad Tenner, actually claimed that um, the requirements and the blocks on buying um, GameStop exists to protect our investors from volatility. So that's been interpreted as very controversial because they didn't um, they didn't stop people from selling or uh, from selling shares or holding positions, but they actually stopped people buying the shares in order to um, in order to decrease the price. And people were suggesting that um, that they were encouraged to do this by Wall Street. And it's evident um, it's evident stock manipulation on behalf of Robin Hood. And they've, they've already had numerous lawsuits, class action suits um, filed against them. So they could be in, they could be in big trouble um, when all of these lawsuits materialise. 
So who do you think will actually back down from this first? Will it be the Redditors who um, will actually be willing to hold, as they're saying? Or, or will they want to actually cash out for a profit and um, actually back down before the hedge funds do? Well, it's interesting that you ask this because I actually watched last night an interview um, with Jordan Belfort, the real-life Wolf of Wall Street, and Sky News. Um, and he, he was actually asked the question, what would he do if he was in the situation of people holding GameStop who've been holding it for months now and are on ridiculously high profits. And he said, um, cash out or withdraw some of your shares um, so that you cover more than your initial investment and you and you take an amount that you're happy to... Sorry, so that you leave an amount that you're satisfied that if you lose the rest, fine, you've already made a significant profit because it's inevitable that the value is going to fall at some point. The share, um, the share price is trading at ridiculous, it's at a ridiculous valuation. Um, it's it's beyond all intrinsic value of the company. So eventually, it's going to fall. It's just a matter of when. So um, this is where the bit, this is where the argument that is actually the message trumps um, the actual desire for profit from these retail investors because um, they're they're holding it to to prove a point to put these hedge funds out of business. Um, and we've already seen Melvin Capital They've had to actually close their position and take a three billion pound loss on um, GameStop. So I think it's it's impossible to predict when it's going to happen. But I think it's inevitable that the share price is going to fall eventually. So retail investors they should be prepared to lose a significant amount of their profits. However, it, I think it all comes down to whether they value the whole movement in effect over. Over short-term game. So finally, before we get to some of our listeners' thoughts, could this happen again with another stock? And we know, of course, that if collusion between the people on Reddit is proven, which will be difficult to prove, but if it is proven, it is illegal. But do you think there are the mechanisms in place to allow this to happen again with amateur investors driving the hedge funds out of business? Well, I think in order to answer this, it's important to address why this actually happened now rather than in the past. And that's because a lot of people cooped up at home in lockdown with technology. They've been able to access um, through, through apps such as Robinhood, they've been able to actually trade stocks and do stuff which they didn't previously know how to do and develop a sense of financial literacy. So I think that is why it's become a big issue now. And in regards to your question as to whether it can happen again in the future, I don't know. I think it's impossible to predict, although given the resources and the power that Wall Street has, I think they're going to be have they're going to have some of the smartest people in the world working out ways to reduce these inefficiencies in the market and to prevent something like this happening again. Because it's it's actually it's completely unprecedented that these powerful firms were able to um, were able to be caught out almost by a bunch of um, by a bunch of redditors who all agreed to buy a stock. Thank you very much, Ben. I hope that our listeners. Found that interesting i'm sure they did thank you thank you so that was my brother there giving his opinion and um a really good explanation on the situation we've seen with gamestop and robin hood trading and we've got a text in here from a le- uh, from a listener uh, from sasha who says i don't know that mu- i don't know that much about finance or the economy but this whole thing about robin hood stopping the trading of gamestop sounds like a good thing to me from my perspective, it sounds like it isn't about protecting really rich traders, but more about protecting individuals who want to try buying stocks through a website like Robinhood. 
and could potentially lose loads of money if they invest it in GameStop. It would be more devastating for someone who decided to use their savings to make some money to buy to make some money to buy in by investing in GameStop than if a professional private investor loses their money when the GameStop st- when the GameStop stock price drops. So to protect their users, I think this is a good thing to do. Well, Sasha, that's what GameStop, not GameStop, that is what um, Robinhood are claiming, that um, they did it to stop people who have seen the story, um, buy it at a high amount and end up losing tons of money. That That's what um, Robinhood are claiming. But in reality, by allowing people to sell a share, but not allowing people to buy a share, what that does to a share inevitably is cause the price to drop. And by the price dropping, that saves the hedge funds money. So lots of people are calling this market manipulation. Lots of people are calling this outrageous. And um, they're saying that when the small people, when the amateurs are winning, the market's almost rigged like a casino house to make sure that it can't last. And that's what they're claiming in um, that's what they're claiming the actions of Robin Hood are in reality. Whether that's the case or whether you're actually correct in your evaluation and that Robin Hood are actually trying to protect their clients is up for debate. But I'm going to come down here and say that I think that it's a question of protecting the hedge funds. I think that um, Robin Hood want to drive down this price to stop more people cutting in and to try and um, protect the hedge funds a bit. That's my personal opinion. Obviously, uh, there's lawsuits going left, right and centre, as my brother said, and it's going to be difficult to prove anything either way. But I think it is worth remembering that um, by stopping people buying a share but allowing them to sell it, a price inevitably will drop. So, yeah, uh, thanks for getting in touch there. Um, I've got another text here from Oscar who says the problem with Robin Hood's actions this week is that it interrupts the natural flow of the economy. If you're a stock trading company like Robin Hood, then you need to allow the economy to do its thing because everything can impact the economy. Then by stopping people from being able to buy shares, they are actually going to be negatively impacting the share price. And they can't act like they don't know that is what they're doing because they're meant to be financial experts. They were not right to stop the trading of GameStop. Well, Oscar, that's kind of the crux of the issue. The lawsuits are going to be accusing Robin Hood of market manipulation, which is illegal. People are also accusing the people on Reddit of colluding to drive up the price of stocks, which is also illegal. Uh, Whether either can be proven remains to be seen, but it does seem that what went on on Reddit is perhaps less organised than what a big company decided to do in order to drive down the price of a share. So I agree with you, Oscar. As I said before, I do think it was the wrong thing for... um, I think do think it was the wrong thing for um, Robin Hood to do because I think that it took them... it, it, It stopped people making more money. Who knows, actually? If they didn't do it, people would have kept buying GameStop. The price would have continued to rise, but eventually it may have just burst on its own and maybe people would have lost a lot of money um, through this bubble. Robinhood would claim that that's what they were trying to prevent, but others would claim that they're helping out the hedge funds and stopping um, the average person from actually making money off the stock market. This is an issue that has caused a lot of controversy and an issue that remarkably United everyone across the political spectrum in America, um, Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz both came out blasting Robin Hood for their actions. And uh, it's probably the first time they're ever going to agree. But um, I think when two people on such opposing ends of the spectrum 
uh, coming out in it on the same side, it really does kind of show um, the anger that Robin Hood have created through their actions. So I think that I hope we've kind of summed up that, that issue there, myself and my brother. And um, I want to thank everyone for their texts uh, throughout the show on both of the topics. If you've missed any of the show, it's available for the next seven days on our website, www.wizardradio.co.uk forward slash repeat. And if you want to hear this week's show, but also all the other shows from the start of this year and um, every show we do from now on will be available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music and many other streaming sites as a podcast um on apple please leave a review uh and subscribe on spotify give us a follow it really helps and um yeah so if you want to check out any of those shows just search matthew wolf into the search bar or um the podcast is called your views on the news with matthew wolf um so that would really help out the show up next is madeline molly but first it's time for the news and the weather Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.